1: The biggest wildfires so far this season might not be in our backyard, but they're still filling our air with smoke. This week we talk about the factors and what our leaders are doing to address them. I'm Melissa Davlin, Idaho reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Joan Cartan Hansen, host of Science Trek on Idaho Public Television, interviews author and environmental journalist Rocky Barker on fires, climate change, and what the future may hold for Idaho. Then, Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press joins me to discuss recent CARES Act appropriations in Idaho. But first, on Friday, Governor Brad Little announced that, yet again, Idaho will remain in stage four of reopening Idaho due to high hospitalizations and ICU numbers. At the Friday press conference, Little emphasized Idaho's economic recovery, citing Idaho having the third lowest unemployment rate in the nation, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, and the number one spot for economic momentum, according to the FFIS index. Still, Little said, Idaho isn't out of the woods yet.
2: In nearly all the metric categories, we are seeing encouraging trends. However, our COVID hospitalizations statewide remain too high again to move out of stage four. Idaho will remain in stage four for another two weeks. My goal continues to be keeping Idaho safe, having our children return to school while ensuring critical healthcare needs are available. As temperatures start dropping and more transmission, more transmissible moments will occur in the coming months, I urge Idahoans, please do not lay your guard down. The primary reason we're able to achieve this remarkable economic position is because our personal actions to keep our families and friends safe and slow the spread of the coronavirus in our communities. Please continue. a face mask. Keep six feet from others. Wash your hands and clean surfaces regularly. Stay home if you're sick and get a flu shot.
1: There wasn't much discussion of the virus itself at the press conference. Weekly case numbers and positivity rates are down, though the number of deaths continues to rise. Most of these deaths have been among people in their 80s or older, though in the last week, more Idahoans in their 30s, 40s and 50s have died. For updates throughout the week, follow Idaho Reports on Facebook and Twitter. Over the last week, smoky air has made it impossible to ignore the wildfires raging to our west. Poor air quality caused school closures in North Idaho and sports cancellations throughout the state and fires near Lowman and Cambridge forced a handful of evacuations and road closures. And Idahoans know this is a dance we do every year. Another annual tradition in Idaho is the debate over whether climate change or land management is to blame for fire seasons becoming worse in recent years. In 2015, I interviewed scientists at the University of Idaho about how these factors aren't mutually exclusive. Here's a clip.
3: There's a wonderful uh, Finnish proverb that fire is a bad
1: master but a good servant. In recent years, fire has been an unforgiving master with huge consequences. It's natural to look for a villain. For some, the boogeyman is climate change. Others, land management. There are a few things we know for sure. We know that there's been a number of large expensive wildfires in Idaho in the last decade. We know that those fires have endangered property and lives. And while leaders wrestle with politically feasible solutions, the forests and rangelands continue to burn.
4: We're still working to try to understand how much of that is climate, how much of that is, this, is the, the land, man, land management legacy. It's probably a little bit challenging to paint it as a black and white.
1: Climate change and land management aren't mutually exclusive. Fires simply need fuel, heat and oxygen to thrive. And those are in abundance in Idaho.
4: The aggressive fire suppression policy throughout much of the 20th century has has resulted in this fire deficit. In other words, we really, have, we really needed to have more fire on a landscape than we've had.
1: While we were putting out fires, the mercury began to rise.
4: We have certainly seen an increase in summer temperatures across the region. Um, we've seen a decrease in mountain snowpack, and those are, those are a couple of the ingredients you need for, for big forest fires, especially at higher elevations.
1: We can disagree on the cause, but we can't disagree on the cost.
4: Sometimes the crisis will uh, finally bring people to their senses, and one would hope that uh, the crisis doesn't uh, doesn't just get over and then people move on. I mean, it's, it, it is one of those things that needs to be uh, on the front burner instead of pushed to the back burner.
1: A crisis in Idaho more than 100 years ago brought sweeping change to our firefighting practices. The big burn in 1910 decimated about three million acres and killed 86 people. That resulted in more proactive fire suppression policies, including federal and state funding for protection. We also have better equipment, better training, better infrastructure, better
3: fire detection. What has happened in recent decades is we've seen the forest change. If it had burned every six or 20 years in ponderosa pine forests, those little trees would have died, and we would, but they've not died. They've grown up, and they've grown to the point where there are ladders from the ground, through the little trees, shrubs, little trees, all the way up into the big trees. And so now we're seeing um, more devastating
1: fires. And moving forward, fuel won't be the only factor. Temperatures have increased about two degrees Fahrenheit since 1880, and they're projected to go up even more, nearly three degrees in the next 50 years. Um, In recent decades, it's gotten warmer.
3: We've seen the fire season get 32 days longer, just in Idaho since 1984 and those trends are projected to continue.
1: So how well do science and public policy play together in 2020? On Friday, Joan Cartan Hansen, host of Science Trek here on Idaho Public Television, and Rocky Barker, author and environmental journalist, sat down for a conversation about climate change and fire in the West, and what our leaders are doing to address the issue.
0: Rocky, back in 1988, the fires in Yellowstone were kind of the first major sign that there was a big change in fire seasons. Can you talk about that? You, you and I both covered that.
4: So, yes, we did, Joan. And actually, at the end of that season, it was, you know, it was the first of of the big giant fires, uh, the, as we now call them, mega fires, uh, since the 1910 fire, and we didn't know at that time it was tied to climate change but if you look back just a couple of years you start seeing it James Hansen that year testified in congress about the extent of uh, the warming that was going on in the world and that also was uh, they that was a record uh, drought year and heat year Uh, they sold uh, you know a record amount of air conditioners in the United States in 88 and uh, more than 700,000 acres of Yellowstone burned. So it, it was, uh, you know, it was a phenomenal uh, event, but we at the time were arguing, you know, over let burn versus logging. It was not really uh, looked at as a climate. And, and I, a couple of years later uh, coined the phrase that it was the signal fire of climate change after scientists started telling us that our entire ecosystem was going to change as these fires continued and got worse.
0: And that was the key they're saying in the Oregon fires, because the forests there are typically don't burn because there's enough moisture in the soil. They'll burn in the mega fire style because there's enough moisture left. But because the earth has slowly been warming, it's been sucking wa- sucking moisture out of that soil. So those those forests that in the past were sort of protected are no longer protected, which is why Oregon is seeing those tremendous fires.
4: That's correct. And, you know, you think about this. Uh, we used to call uh, North Idaho the asbestos forest because since 1910, uh, you know, there've been a few years of uh, tough forests, but not, uh, uh, you know, nothing like 1910 for the same reason that Oregon, it's wetter. And, uh, but in 2015, we had the same kind of fires as they're having now in Oregon and yeah. You know, it's just a matter of time until all of North Idaho, and unfortunately, big chunks of uh, Oregon are going to burn like Southern Idaho has.
0: You know, I had a wonderful uh, conversation with Jen Pierce at Boise State University, and her her colleague, Matt Cohen, came up with a, a figure. He had figured out that the chance of the climate change being caused by something other than humans, it's got to be is one over 10 to the 35th power, which is as he described it as if I pick up a grain of sand and I place it on a planet somewhere in our solar system, go away, you come back and pick up that same grain of sand. The chances that, he said that that's the that's the chance that it's not human cause. So the the science is so clear that this is you know that global warming our current global warming trend is human cause and yet, climate, uh, it's still a part of public policy discussions, whether there is climate change or not. How has that climate change discussion uh, been going this year with such bad smoke levels?
4: Well, you know, it's the fact that we are this year still having this discussion is due in part to a very well-funded campaign uh, that's gone on since the early 90s to uh, essentially dispute the science and you know it was it was largely paid for by the uh f- fossil fuel industry oil and gas industry and its supporters and you know they succeeded in 2016 in getting our president elected and he has uh he you know he's he still leads a big voice uh in just denying that that climate change exists and all the science in the world isn't uh isn't you know going to change that for a lot of people and then there's out here in the west there's a lot of people it really started in the uh uh in the in the late 80s that suddenly the forest industry realized that the fire suppression that came after uh, 1910 was actually making the forest you know, more vulnerable to fire because it was filling it with fuel. And so that became their main um, scientific argument. And of course, it's true. Uh, The only thing is, is that we started seeing it was uh, a report that came out in 2007 that first made it clear that climate change was overwhelming that uh, uh, fuel load that we have. And so, you know, while it's still important to, to do forest management, and let's face it, that's a consensus now. The environmental community and the timber industry are working in consensus groups all over Idaho to do more thinning, to do some logging, to do uh, things, especially around communities, to try to make it uh, easier to, uh, to get through these fires. But on the days when it's hot, when it's dry, when it's windy. Days like you and I saw back in 1988, and frankly, I've seen over and over for the last 32 years, there is nothing you can do. That is going, you know, That is going—you know—that those fires, those conditions are going to blow up and there's only one thing to do and that's to get out of the way
0: in a year with a lot of new normals is this going to be the new normal for the west
4: it already is you know that's the thing is is when you don't sometimes re again like i said in 1988 i didn't really know it was about climate change but uh you know little did i know that oakland was going to burn up in 1991 and that in the foothills fire right outside of boise here uh was going to burn uh Couple hundred thousand acres in uh, ni- 1992. Interestingly enough, in uh, we had fires in, ni- in uh, 2013 that were burning some of the same t- forests that burned in 1992. We're already in the reburn, and and what the reburn's doing, what Jen Pierce has actually showed us, is that what the reburn's doing is we're moving from ponderosa pine forest on the edge of Boise. To rangeland and juniper.
0: Now, that I had my grandparents were in uh, lived in Paradise, California, so I can appreciate the what happens when a community just gets devastated. Are we going? Is there a chance that Boise or Coeur d'Alene or uh, could be the next Paradise?
4: Well, you know, Coeur d'Alene certainly has. Uh, uh, it, it's right in. You know, the forest is right into that. Uh, people are uh, and I think people the fact that northern Idaho has been uh, uh, the asbestos forest I think people have been lulled by that to not do the clearing around the community uh, that uh, we've come to do we've done quite a bit of in Boise I mean since uh, 1996 we had the big fire right in the foothills uh, out here and then we had the Oregon trail fire over by, uh, Columbia village. Since we've had these events right on the edge of Boise, we've done a lot. Now, of course you have to keep doing a lot to clear, but up in Coeur d'Alene, they, you know, they've still been living under the idea that, uh, you know, they're okay. So I, I do worry about that really dry, hot, uh, summer when, you know, when Coeur d'Alene, uh, uh, goes, And, you know, an interesting thing is, uh, you know, if, if you like Boise now, uh, uh, Dick Barr is an old fire ecologist who was in Yellowstone with us, Dick Barr retired a couple of years ago. He said to me at the time, he said, if you like Boise, then you're, you'll love Coeur d'Alene about 20 years from now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's the fact that climate change is just changing our ecosystems. It's changing the world. Boise uh, will be in about twenty years like a climate similar to Fresno.
0: Is there any policies? Is Congress looking at any policies? I mean, I realize we're heading into an election year, so everything's kind of you know stopped until after the election. But were there were there policies that Congress was looking at to deal with uh, forest management policies that might help with with fires?
4: Yeah, Congress is you know a couple of years ago. Uh, Representatives uh, Mike Simpson, uh, Senator uh, Crapo and Risch, and also uh, Senator uh, Wyden over in uh, Oregon, uh, changed the way we uh, do fire fire borrowing money. It's it's a technical thing, but basically trying to make more money available upfront uh, for uh, doing thinning and uh, things to make communities safer. Um, that's already not enough. We already know we need to do, and the fact is, I, my argument is that we'll never have enough. Uh, it, it's always going to be, uh, it's going to overwhelm us for a while, uh, but um, there are, I, I talked to Senator Wyden just uh, uh, a couple of days ago and he, and Senator Crapo, and they're working on things like a new uh, CCC uh, Conservation Corps, Civilian Conservation Corps to get people out Uh, to do these thinning around communities and to do uh, the work that we need to do. And there's also, uh, they want to come up with more, uh, you know, projects on federal lands. And they're looking at some uh, reduction in environmental regulations to do that, uh, which is still a little controversial. Um, But I think we're going to see a lot more attention to the forest after this year.
0: Well, thank you, Rocky Barker. I appreciate you joining us today.
4: Thank you, Joan.
1: For more from Rocky and Joan, check out the Idaho Reports podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Early on in the pandemic, Idaho received $1.2 billion in CARES Act funding to help with its coronavirus response. To help advise how that money should be doled out, Governor Little put together the Coronavirus Financial Advisory Committee. Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press has been covering some of those appropriations and joined me this week to talk about two recent recommendations from the committee and why Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan, who sits on the committee, faced criticism for missing those votes. Thanks so much for joining us, Betsy. First, I wanted to ask you about the Coronavirus Financial Advisory Committee. They had a meeting earlier this week and made two big decisions. First was uh, related to the special session that we saw about a month ago.
5: That's right. This was a request from the Boise Police Department for about $69,000 to cover their costs for providing security at the special session. And this was on top of a previously approved request from the Idaho State Police for $78,600. In the case of the Boise Police Department, this was for 27 officers on each of two days and seven officers on a third day for both regular and overtime hours. And as everyone will remember, the three-day special session was marked by some pretty unruly protests, multiple arrests, including of Ammon Bundy, who was arrested twice and barred from the Capitol for a year and the breaking of a glass door leading into the house gallery. um, Basically, a whole lot of police presence ended up being required for this special session. And CFAC, which is the the short nickname for our Coronavirus Financial Advisory Committee, voted unanimously to cover those bills. But one of the members, Representative Melissa Wintrow, who did vote in favor of this funding, said it troubled her to use the CARES Act funds for this. Because she thought they definitely needed to be paid and she was glad that they were there, but that it shouldn't have been necessary and she basically faulted um, the majority party the Republicans for holding the special session in the first place and contended it wasn't worth it with the upheaval that it caused and, and what it produced.
1: Yeah, I'm also curious about something else that came up during that meeting, and it was an approval of a proposal that Governor Little put forth last week having to do with education and parents who are financially affected by online and distance learning.
5: This was actually a really big deal. So this was $150 million for Idaho schools and $99 million of that was to fully restore the 5% holdback, the budget cut that the governor had imposed proactively back at the start of the fiscal year on July 1st, anticipating that state revenues were going to fall way short because of what's happened to the economy because of the pandemic. And what they had decided to do was to tap into their CARES Act funds. This is Idaho's $1.25 billion share of federal coronavirus relief aid and fully make that up, the whole 99 million, and then. The other 50 million is going to go directly to Idaho families who have been hurt by the need by the the closure of schools in Idaho. Um, families with school-age kids who have had their schools close, and the families have had to either have a parent leave the workforce or cut back their hours or invest in computers and um, digital connections and so forth in order to just get the basic education for the kids that the Idaho constitution charges the state with providing. And so there are still details in the works about how this money will be distributed. The State Board of Education is going to oversee it. um, And it's a maximum of, I believe it's $3,500 per family. uh, And it will be income-based at least for starters. There are going to be four waves of applications starting in early October with the lowest income families eligible to apply first, then the next level of income, and then the next after it, to where eventually it will be open to all families of school-age children in Idaho um, for an opportunity to be reimbursed for those costs that they put in.
1: And this is something that Governor Little acknowledged won't there isn't enough money for every single family or every single student. Um, But those are the details we have now that- Right, and in fact, the governor
5: estimated that it could help 30,000 school kids. We have 310,000 school kids
1: in Idaho. So
5: it's really just a piece, but the State Board of Education has described it as a really good start on getting to this problem that we are really seriously experiencing for families across Idaho, trying to access education for their kids.
1: Now, education is something that didn't come up in the special session, even though a number of lawmakers wanted it addressed. Um, The lieutenant governor missed the vote. She sits on CFAC and she faced some criticism for missing that vote on the education funding.
5: She certainly did for a number of reasons. Now, Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan has passed, cast the only no vote in CFAC on a number of occasions on some rather popular programs otherwise. And on the $150 million for education, she sent an email to CFAC, to all the members, something like 17 minutes before the meeting started, saying, hold off, don't vote on this, we need to look into it more, it needs more study, can we even do this? And said that she wasn't going to be able to attend the meeting. Two hours before the meeting started, she tweeted a picture of herself driving a convertible saying she was off to the Trump fundraiser in Stanley with uh, Donald Trump Jr. Which presumably is why she was unable to attend the meeting Um, and so her request for CFAC was just delay this put it off the discussion in the CFAC meeting including from other legislators who participated and from the state board of education officials was that we need to get this money out as soon as possible and this needs to be approved and it needs to get in the works and nobody on CFAC proposed delaying this in fact the vote was unanimous to approve it so the lieutenant governor's absence from that meeting and the circumstances of that caused quite a stir. Um, and there were news reports pretty much from every mainstream news outlet in our state. Plus, it was all over social media. It was kind of the talk of the day, what she had done. And, and perhaps because education funding and $150 million for education in Idaho, that is the basic function of state government according to our constitution. That's the main thing that they're supposed to accomplish. And the Lieutenant Governor's reaction to the attention that she received was to lash out on social media and fault the news media and call it fake news, um, because she said, oh, nobody asked where I was. Actually, that picture was the day before or something like that. She was photographed prominently at the fundraiser with Donald Trump Jr., which occurred around the same time as his meeting, um, the same day. And uh, one reporter, Clark Corbin from Idaho Education News, tweeted that he actually put in a formal request to her chief of staff asking when she traveled to the fundraiser, why she didn't appear at, why she didn't participate in the meeting, which by the way was all remote. It was a telephone conference and received uh, a response back saying she missed it for personal reasons, no further comments.
1: Uh, And I think a number of people pointed out that it's normal for people to participate remotely. And so even if she was on the road, presumably she could have called in, she could have participated via Zoom. Um, But as you said, there was no comment. Do you know She brought up in her response that there were some lingering questions that she had as to whether it was even legal to use the Federal CARES Act money in the way that the little administration had proposed. Was this something that came up in the CFAC meeting?
5: It was. And that was something she mentioned in her email. And it was something that CFAC members made a point of asking about and discussing at length. And the U.S. Treasury has issued some new guidance within the last two weeks saying that states can now use a portion of their share of CARES Act money for schools and up to $500 per public school student will be presumed to be COVID related. In this case, this amounts to $310 per Idaho public school student. So we are well below the cap for which the, CARES Act requirements and the Treasury guidance says we will not even need to submit any documentation at all. Nevertheless, CFAC was told that the state does plan to document this, including the amount that goes to every school and what it's used for, simply because they want to do so in the name of transparency.
1: For my full conversation with Betsy, including the legal fight over Kanye West's appearance on Idaho's November ballot, and why it's really a story about our election laws and Secretary of State, make sure you listen to the Idaho Reports podcast. Once again, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast player, and we'll be sure to post the link on our social media. For COVID-19 numbers and analysis throughout the week, be sure you're following Idaho Reports on Twitter and Facebook. We'll see you next week. And until then, stay safe, Idaho.